What's up, boss? This is Abraham's wallet. We span the gap between the austerity of obedience to God and the prosperity rising from faithfulness. Run your home and your dough like a biblical boss. I've been tending the coals and preparing what is going to be a phenomenal barbecue of of sacred cow today. We are going to be barbecuing the sacred cow of some of our listeners. Oh, I thought you were telling me about your Sabbath preparations and that the the cockles of your heart were excited about the food that you were getting ready to eat. And I was no. wondering, did you did you find someone of the Hindustani faith and you abducted their cow and you are eating their cow for your no. Sabbath? No, that's not it. Okay. In fact, tonight's Sabbath plan is Indian food, so there will likely be no cow. <laughs> yeah, there, you know, you know, there's not a lot of uh, beef tenderloin uh, that you can find at the the curry shop. When when we were in India and our friends had been living there for a while, they showed us in the American embassy the beef that you can purchase at the grocery store oh. of, of the American embassy, and then the the sad part it's not beef it's water buffalo no it's kidding kind of, it's kind of a grayish meat um so not it's not the place where i would like do my next big marketing campaign if i were traeger yeah know? that's really interesting but they market it as beef well that's what they call it yeah and it's strange to me because it's american like it's all american it's the embassy grocery store interesting but, yeah. Beef in quotation marks. But quote beef, it's what's for dinner. Are you guys experiencing what we're experiencing here in Utah, which is no eggs in the grocery stores? I haven't heard of that, but I'm not a very frequent shopper or in the know of such things. Man. Well, uh, we can't we can't get eggs very easily right now, and I've heard it's cuz there was a wave of bird flu in the area. Interesting. But yeah, Costco, no eggs. And you don't you don't know enough uh, homesteading Mormons to be able to bum eggs off of people for two bucks a dozen or something. No, no. Um, all the chickens are also sold out because of this. So at the farm store, there's no chicks. You can't go get chicks right now either. Wow. Yeah, I was talking to a mutual friend of ours who I will not uh name i will not dock dox them here on the podcast oh good use but they were saying that another mutual friend of ours was warning them because they have chickens that the government might come for their chickens right now due to the impending recession and shortage that ain't right no i don't think the government's coming for the four backyard chickens of our mutual friend I was going to ask about your backyard chickens. My backyard chickens went to live with another family about a year ago. Oh, they did? Oh, yeah. Do tell. They were Back when we had Dirk, the dog who was named after, uh, you know, NBA champion Dirk Nowitzki. Oh, I see you're wearing the Mavericks Nowitzki shirt. Yes, that that is the namesake of our dog. However, unlike... Dirk, the NBA champion. Uh, Dirk, the dog, was the worst creature ever to walk the face of the earth. And I still regret giving him away instead of taking pleasure in ending his life personally. Wow, strong language. He lives in in Hawaii now. Um, He ate most of the chickens. And when we only had a couple left, we said we should just give these to someone else before they all die. And then we ended up getting rid of the dog. So that's the story of how the chickens came to to their end. Your dog was colloquially colloquially known as Dirk the Jerk. And my my daughters love that to this day. They'll say Dirk the Jerk randomly. Yeah. Now we have Beatrice, the sweetest dog ever to live. Beatrice, the sweetest. Yeah, I'll take it. 
But you've never had interest in restocking your your coop? No. If I lived in Texas, I'd do it in a heartbeat where there's not snow on the ground all winter. Going out yeah. into a snowy, muddy coop, and it's not it's not fun. And oh, okay. I decided we don't need this in our lives. So no. Okay. Okay. Now, quick sidebar. This yeah. doesn't have to be. Doesn't have, have to be to a sidebar. Can be right here in the middle of the plate. We don't have to go into this because I know some of our audience doesn't doesn't care about it. But can I get a game seven prediction for Mavericks Suns? Yeah, that's pretty easy. I think that we have uh, we've seen that the uh, home court matters a lot, and our problem has been in this series that the the supporting cast for Luca has been on hiatus. And I think that we have seen in the last uh, the last couple of games, <clears throat> we've seen people like Spencer Dinwiddie, who has been uh, A-W-O-L uh, for a little bit. Um, absent without leave, AWOL. Okay. Um, he's been... Uh, He's been gone, and and he kind of woke up uh, yesterday. And I think that we're going to uh, not only give him a show in uh, Phoenix, I think we're going to prevail because... Oh! Because... Because... um, I I just saw... I just felt like they they really lost their spirit in this last game and and we can look at the trajectory of Chris Paul's performances he's an important part of that Phoenix team in the last four games he's kind of fall off the table so it's when somebody touched his mother he was he was so oh, that, that really did it by the way did you see that story did you did you investigate that story at all I watched a YouTube clip of the aftermath of him yelling at the kid but I don't know what happened well, there there is uh, there there is video of what happened, and there is someone in the crowd who knows that that's Chris Paul's mother, and perhaps had you know when the game was going the Mavericks' way would say you know check that out, Ma, or something like that, and then at some point he 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 came behind her. There's video of it and touched her on the shoulder. And this this is the rea- this is the reaction. It's kind of like that thing that I don't know is out in the world right now. Don't you put your hands on me? Don't you touch me? That's kind of the the latest. That's where we are as a society. And that um, that's what Chris Paul did, which is don't you touch my mother. Kind of like don't you get have my wife's name in your mouth to Chris Rock. It's like a, okay, okay, back back it down a little bit there, cowboy. Wow. Well, that kid is banned from the American Airlines Center for a year now. Well, they said until next year's season, which means... Oh, that's what they said? Yeah, which means you just can't come to any more playoff games. Yeah, I I don't know what to make of it. I, I, I think don't, about him. The, the kid certainly didn't do anything illegal, and he barely did something worth getting thrown out for, but they've got to save face to look like oh we protected this important nba star yeah in college we used to get homework sheets before basketball games of the names of all of the opposing team's mother and sisters and just anything they could dig up on every player on the other team and it would just be horrific relentless chance that (laughs) Many of which, as a follower of Christ, I could not participate in. <laughs> but I'm thinking we've gone soft when when oh NBA goodness. players can't be heckled a little bit. Understatement That's- of the year. We've gone a little soft. Okay. Well, I would like you to know the the barbecue has been preheating, and Good. it is ready for our main uh, our main protein to be added wait. to the grill to the grates. They're they're prepared and seasoned, um, man. So what are we talking me about? Want, you're making me want fajitas tonight. Oh, I okay. That'd be a great late spring, early summer. That'd be a great way to celebrate the beautiful weather that we're having. Would be a a little fajita time out back. Okay, 
let's move on. You're, you're using a metaphor and you're trying to get us into the guts of what, what we're here to talk about. So let's do it. Correct. So what is this, what is the topic of, of the day? The topic du jour, Stephen. The topic is the controversial concept. It's a biblical concept, and it is the tithe. The tithe. What is the tithe? Does the Lord require it of us or not? What are the uses of a tithe? Do, do people who are the modern financiers who are also uh, remain beholding to the Bible, what do they say about the tithe? Has it gone the way of the poodle skirt? What do we think of the tithe? Are we modern financiers? Yeah, we are. Oh, okay. That's us. Um, before we dive any deeper, I must give credit to the podcast that helped me really understand all of the arguments here. No oh um, are you familiar with the Remnant Radio podcast? No. Well, it's probably my favorite theology show. It's a couple of dudes that are kind of like us, like open, charismatic-y type guys who also have an extremely deep understanding of Scripture and hold things up to a very biblical uh crucible when they're deciding what what's what so a lot of times you get one or the other you either get the the bible folks or you get the holy spirit folks yeah i love this show because they they engage both and they'll tackle church discipline issues or how should we think about a cultural issue or really nerdy theology stuff and they did an episode on tithing and i found it extremely helpful so Tell if you people want what that is again it's called remnant the remnant radio podcast all right uh, they're in dallas i think but uh maybe someday we'll we'll record with those guys that would be super fun yeah but that's where i got this stuff and i believe unlike many people that you can't really steal bible teaching so i i will steal a sermon i will steal uh podcast notes whatever and i don't feel bad about it so okay I would say so sue me, but some people might. So let's just say so. So be if it. If you don't like it, write us a letter at mark at abrahamswallet.com. Yeah. Um, now there's two views on this question of tithe, Stephen, that I want to explore. One is that the scripture compels you as a Jesus follower to this day to tithe, whatever that means. And the other view is that the scripture offers freedom on how you would choose to engage with generosity in terms of amounts uh, and things like that. So this is another view. I would say at the front of this podcast that both of these views are within the bounds of orthodoxy. So it, you know, even if you are listening to this and you go to a church where they say, we believe you should tithe 10% because the Bible tells you to do it, um, you might not agree with that. I don't think this is necessarily an issue to break fellowship over. Huh. Um, so that's that's kind of on the front end. We can disagree about everything I'm about to talk about, and it doesn't mean that we're on different teams. Um, so let's not paint some preacher as a greedy bastard because he preaches oh. a tithe. And we shouldn't assume that someone who doesn't tithe whatever our definition of tithe is, is a uh, consumption-minded lush. Agreed? I'm open. I'm open to that. I mean, you're, uh, I, 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 I confess here up front, you're asking me for my opinion. I, I have trouble with somebody who uh, does not give at least 10% of their stuff away. Fair. So, you said that I that I can't think of them as a cons or like don't let's let's not think of them as a consumer minded lush and and uh, I'm I'm willing to leave the jury out on that but that question will come into my mind if that's Great. somebody's life. Let's talk about it. Um, okay. So I think before we dive in, we have to ask: 
what the heck is a tithe? All right. You and I grew up in a very uh, traditional Baptist church setting. What what were you told that the tithe was, Stephen? I was told that word tithe means tenth, and that it is a tenth uh, of your belongings. Uh, Abraham and Melchizedek is usually uh, uh, cited as a, uh, a, a precedent setting reference, and that uh, it's funny because what he did with Melchizedek was gave him a tenth of everything that he had. And that's not what people do. What people do is they tithe a tenth of what they receive, um, not their entire fortune. And so basically, anyways, what was told to me as a kid was every every nickel of income that you get, you should, and I'll make it specific, you should give a tenth of that to the church. Okay. You were you were trying to make my question more complicated, but you got there eventually. You asked you? what I was told. That's fine. I think what we were probably both told is it's ten percent of your income. Yeah, and you're supposed to give it to the church. Yeah. Um, I do. If if somebody's listening to this and and they come out on pro tithe and they want to start hauling into church, like. 10% of their furniture and 10% of their, and you want to do a one-time tithe to just clean out 10%, please videotape that and send it in to the Abraham's Wallet podcast. And we'll put it right here on the YouTube channel because I would love to see, um, especially if maybe you're at like a big mega church and you just back in with a U-Haul. Yeah, they would um, love it. Yeah. So do the thing where I saw a guy at the dump doing this where he had just a huge flatbed of stuff and he didn't want to unload it at the dump. So he, he, it took him like four runs, but it was full gas in reverse slam on the brakes and try to get this load to slide off the flat. Hilarious. Do that when you do your tithing. Oh just my goodness. You haul open back and slam the brakes and then out flies like a, uh, an old pinball machine and your, your sofa from college. I love it. Okay, uh, that's what I was told too, uh, is that it is 10%. Now, this, I think there's some some arguments about should we tithe? You know, I live in Utah and the prevailing religious system here actually requires you to show them your tax returns um, in order to be in good standing with the church. We want proof that you tithed 10% of what you made. I thought they kind of... The, the 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 urban legend is that they the Mormons will hook themselves up to your bank account when you become a member, and then they siphon off what they want as they go. Uh, I do not think that is true, but okay. I I know some wonderful Mormons, and I will ask them this. Okay. Week. Um. So, I, yeah, but it's an interesting system. Because, and we'll get into this at the end, but I've never in my life met a Mormon who gives 11%. Um, uh, it's, it's a very clear law. Uh-huh. 10% and we're good. Uh-huh. Uh, so there's not a whole lot of talk of generosity. There's not a whole lot of talk of let's give to other causes, although I'm sure there are Mormon people who give to other sure. charitable causes. Um but the 10%, that's a hard and fast rule. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about what a a biblical tithe looks like? Because Israel was not required to give 10% of income. They were, the, the tithe was a completely different formula. And there's arguments about what percentage of their take yeah. it was. But it was definitely somewhere between... 19 and 27 percent when you add all the different quote tithes up that were to be given let's hear them people are curious so this is where if this podcast recording had happened an hour later i might have all of that data at my fingertips uh -huh. um but i think that we'll get into a little bit of what the bible says but there's tithes mentioned which that that was to be a tenth of specific agricultural 
excess. There's offerings mentioned. And, you know, going back again to what I was raised in, your tithe was 10%. That's the law. You must give it. The offering was any generosity you wanted to do on top of that 10%. And it was always thought of as a percentage of your income. Does that sound fair to you? Which part? Does that sound like what you were used to hearing about tithes and offerings? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, am I am I depressing you here, Stephen? I feel like you're not as chirpy as normally. No, no, I'm listening. I'm okay. interested. So, um, if we look at Leviticus twenty-seven thirty through thirty-three, should should we look at that? Yeah, I have it in front of me. Why don't you read it? A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. If a man redeems any of his tithe, he must add a fifth of the value to it. The entire tithe of the herd and flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod, will be holy to the Lord. I don't have verse 33. No one may pick out the good from the bad or make any substitution. If anyone does make a substitution, both the animal and its substitute become holy and cannot be redeemed. Um, One of the interesting things about this verse, which I have heard quoted in giving sermons, is that it says, uh, you know, I've always heard, hey, look, a tenth, everything... A tenth of everything belongs to the Lord. But we have to think about the context of this passage, which is the Mosaic Covenant and the law. This is a law for a nation. It says, a a tithe of everything from the land. What land was that? Israel. Right. This is the specific geographical land of Israel. Um, And so there's context for where it is. There's context for what it is. Do we notice any talk of tithing money in this passage? We do not. Right. So it's always agricultural. Um, And why would that be? It's because this, this piece of the law comes in the context of describing how the Lord plans to take care of the people who did not have their own chunk of the land that's Israel, to provide for their tribe. So there's 12 tribes of Israel, and the um, tribe of Levi was designated as the priest. They We talked about this back when we talked about inheritance, but they did not have a chunk of the land with which to make food. And that is why this agricultural system was developed um, to provide for the priests who don't have a portion so that they can be supported. Um, you know, This tithe is a part of a judicial system and a nation, and you can think of it as a tax that gets imposed on that nation for the care of priests. There's also offerings mentioned, and we think, I I was taught like offerings, that's just your extra. That's not what the, the book of Leviticus says and Deuteronomy say about offerings. They describe in all sorts of places specific offerings that are to be done. There's a wave offering. So have you ever done that when you do Sukkot, a wave offering? Yes. It's it's kind of funny to me because it's like, well, I'm going to wave this thing and maybe that'll be meaningful to the Lord. Um, and there's there's offerings and uh, that are commanded as set aside. This is where I mentioned another tithe, set aside another tenth that we've described before to be used for festivals and celebrations. Um, And there's offerings that are to be set aside for the care of widows. Uh, There's different offerings and tithes, and they have different reasons that they're all given. But they're all a part of this uh, national system uh, as a a way that God intended for the nation of Israel to be ordered and for people to be provided for. It's always in the term, in, in the sense of the tithe of Leviticus 23, uh, sorry, 27, it's always agricultural products. Um, so 
we'll come back to that in a second. But any reactions to my assertions here about what a tithe is in the Bible? I'll just throw this in um, that we have we have talked before about Deuteronomy 14, which is a, another specific tithe. And the tithe, the point of the tithe is that you go away with your family and meet with God and you worship and you grow spiritually because the, you have put, imagine a tenth, everyone just do some quick math in your head and think of what your gross income was for the last year. We just did taxes and um, think of a spending a tenth of that to take an amazing trip with your family to go grow spiritually. Anyways, all I can tell you is that Deuteronomy 14, 22 through 26 says to do just that. And so, again, I've, I don't think I've ever heard someone give a comprehensive uh, teaching on the tithe. But to me, to my naive ears, untrained ears, these sound like various collections. Yeah. And it's possible that you're right. When I pulled commentaries on this, there were a couple of things that happened. It became clear to me why that number of what the total tithe is varies from right. some people saying it's as low as like 18 or 19% and others saying it's as high as 27% because it's not exactly clear um, just based on what we have in the Torah yes. about what was given. Some people say that actually the Leviticus 27 tithe is the, is the reiteration. Whole thing. Oh, and the then it was, and then it was partitioned out. So some of that whole thing that was given to the Levites, some of it was used for the priests, some of it was used for some of the other causes. Other people say, no, these are actually separate tithes. Um, we can argue about that. I think the point is um, that there was a tithe commanded by the law. It was agricultural, and it did have specific purposes in the law. Mm. Uh, it wasn't just, hey, make sure you take 10% of your stuff and put it outside your household. That was not the, the principle behind it. It was God had specific uses for each of the offerings and tithes that he was commanding. It, it, it's striking to me that tithe uh, assets, tithe value went to humans. That is Levites. It didn't go to, uh, they didn't go to maintain land or property or organizations. It went to people. Um, well, yeah, you can't use grain to fix the temple. Exactly. <laughs> this is all super interesting, but I, I do want to bring us back to the question I think the listener might be asking is, really at the core. Am I supposed to give 10%? I know, is but I, listen, I think this is salient because what we're constantly told by the red, red brick church house on the corner is we have to keep the heat and lights on guys. So you have to give us that tithe money because we got to keep this thing going. And I think it's worth saying here that none of the passages that we've read are for keeping the heat and light lights going. I, yeah. I like I like the discussion breaking down the questions of what what we grew up assuming. Yeah, I, I totally think we could spend fourteen hours on whoa really dissecting all of the tithe, and I I'm, I didn't mean to suggest that is a bad thing to do. That's the type of thing mid rashing you could just dig into yeah. this for weeks. Um, what I'm kind of saying is, I want to get to that question of what. What are we supposed to do with this? I probably should have just gone on a crazy, like over the top statement to start this podcast out that said we are pro giving. We are pro supporting local churches. We believe in paying workers their due. Um, however, that looks when people are investing time and effort to, to share the gospel, to teach all that stuff. So yes. Buy on anyone that would take this podcast and say, those Abraham's wallet guys told me not to tithe. I'm going to use the money to renovate my kitchen instead. Like, But, no. I you're going to finish that sentence, but we're not for people misusing Bible words to constrain, to put you under to the law, or to manipulate you into doing something like 
Well, giving to us is giving to the Lord, for instance. Right. I can't stand that reasoning, and I'll fight and scream for it. Uh, giving to our pet ministry is what tithing is commanded to be in the Bible. No, it's not. Don't do that to me. Um, if yeah. you just if you just ask me straightforward, hey, we need money to work on the roof has fallen in. Would people give money? Great, let's give to it. That's great. But l- let's not conflate what the scriptures actually say. Amen. So we've defined the tithe and we have kind of danced around it, but I'm just going to outright say, oh boy, a lot of people will tell you that this is this is one of those uh, laws that gets established in the Bible that still applies to us today. So, in order to please God, you must obey the tithe. Um, and they use kind of a few arguments for why. Uh, I want to go through those arguments. Some of All them right. will, will be pretty quick because we've already talked a lot about the scriptures and we can talk about whether the arguments hold water. Argument number one, the tithe was established before the law. So this is Genesis 14 where Abraham gives a 10th to Melchizedek. That was pre law. And so a lot of people will say, Hey, this was there before the law. It's an enduring principle. Um, I want to talk about that. Argument number two, the tithe is then codified and explained in the law. So this is Leviticus 27 and Numbers 18 and Deuteronomy 18. 14. 14. Um, This is where the law comes in and says, actually, here are the specific ways we want you to do it. So it's established before the law. It's explained and codified in the law. Number three is a big one. The tithe, a lot of people will say, was affirmed by Christ. So this is Matthew 23, when the, the Sadducees came to Jesus, uh, it might have been the Pharisees, uh, the rabbis came to Jesus and they said, you know, and, and he rebuked them and said, you tithe your mint and your cumin, um, but you neglect uh, the more important giving. And he said, you should do one without neglect of the other. And people say, well, he had the opportunity there to say, you don't need to tithe. And he didn't. Um, and the, the last one I want to talk about is if you've heard a tithing sermon, my guess is you've heard Malachi three, eight through 10, uh, will man rob God yet you are robbing me. And you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? Uh, so if you've ever heard a pastor say that you might go, wow, that's strong prophetic language that seems to say, uh, God wants our tithes. Um, so the argument there is we shouldn't steal from God. You know, that, that passage goes on and says, um, I mean, it says you're robbing me. So is not giving a tithe robbing God? So I'd like to just quickly talk through those, those four arguments and see where we land. Hit it. Okay. Number one, the tithe is established before the law. Uh, you mentioned this passage, Genesis 14. Uh, and did you know that Abraham did not give 10%? of his stuff to, uh, away in that, in that story where he gives stuff to Melchizedek. No, no, he didn't. He gave 100% away of the spoils from what he had just accomplished, uh, in, in taking new land. Uh, he gave 10% of it to Melchizedek, who was a faithful, uh, priest that he found there. Right. Yeah. He gave the other 90% to the king of Sodom, it says in that passage. This was not where Abraham went and enriched himself. Um, You know, this, just like the 10% that he gave to Melchizedek does not establish a legal system for giving 10% of the spoils of war, it also doesn't establish a system of socialism for giving 90% of all your stuff to the government. Uh, But that's what Abraham did. Other things to note about this story, this was a one-time gift ever. Uh, He did not before or after cut out 10% of his stuff and hand it off. Uh, He did not take Melchizedek with him and say, you're my personal pastor now, uh, and I'm going to start tithing to you. He made a one-time gift. Doesn't really mean, that's not a proof case, but it's interesting. This was practiced by all the pagan nations surrounding Abraham when Ah. he made that 10% gift. Okay. So a tithing practice was not unique to Abraham. It was not unique to Israel. 
um, it was pretty common that a tithe would be given when there was spoils taken, when there was harvest. Uh, there's documentation of all the nations that surround Israel doing this thing called tithing. Again, this doesn't mean we shouldn't tithe. This is do we know why? Things. Do we know historically why they why was that a common thing? See, I'd have to figure that out. I don't. I don't know. Okay, the, that's the interesting. Detail. I mean, if I wondered, it had to do with nomadic lifestyles or making treaties or what? Yeah. I think that the last point on this one is there's a lot of things that were established before the law that are not moral law. And that's kind of what this argument is, is that, well, tithe was shown before the law. So that means it transcends the the Levitical law. Um, but circumcision was established before the law. Watch out. And... It is not. It, it doesn't uh, give something authority just because it preceded the the formal adoption of the law. Okay, um, that one that one's easier for us because the New Testament authors told us exactly what to do with that one. Yep. Um. Okay. So, to me, the fact that this was established before the law does not necessarily mean that we have to practice it, but it doesn't mean we don't. Number two, tithe is explained by the law, and we already kind of went into this one which is that, yes, there was tithe mentioned in the law, but to your point, Stephen, it had specific purposes. It was it was food and it was given to people yeah. uh, to support them in their priestly work. Um, or it was, it was earmarked for other things. Like you said, there was offerings for festivals. There was offerings for that you were supposed to eat and celebrate with, but it wasn't a... Here is the percentage of your annual take that I would like you to jettison from your family so that you're in good standing with the Lord. That is not in the law. You with me still? Yeah, I'm with you. Okay. Next, tithe is affirmed by Christ. Um, this is interesting because there is no there is no New Testament author that does with tithing what they do with circumcision, right? We don't have Paul say, you don't have to tithe. If anyone tells you to tithe, a curse be on them. But he does say yeah. that about circumcision. Um, so if it existed before the law and is explained by the law and is affirmed by Christ, then people go, well, this is this is a moral law. This is not a Levitical or ceremonial law. This is a moral law that's part of God's heart for, for people. Um, I would just say that there are other examples of Jesus having very similar encounters with the the legal folks of the time, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and one of them is uh, the Levite marriage. So Jesus was asked, you know, by in Matthew twenty-two by the Sadducees. This time, I'm sure it was the Sadducees. Um, what happens if a woman is married to a man and he dies? And so she does this, this thing we're commanded to do in, in the law at, where she, the, the man's brother takes her as his wife and he tries to get her pregnant and he can't and he dies. And then she goes on down the line seven times. Whose wife will she be in heaven? And, uh, Jesus responds and he's, uh, he says, actually, there is no marriage or giving, giving in marriage in heaven. Um, he doesn't say, guys, don't do Levite marriage. And yet, I would say that we both agree that if our, our wife, if we die, our wife is not obligated to go find a relative of ours and try to have a baby if we haven't had any sons yet. No. Do, do you agree with me on that? We haven't... I, I am springing this on you right here in the podcast. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay. Um, your wife just let out a big sigh of relief. Yeah, because you should see my cousin Elmer. <laughs> so, again, I would just say that the fact that Jesus doesn't specifically overturn the law in that case where he was talking uh, in Matthew 23 about doing the one without neglecting the other does not mean that he's saying and continue doing it forever. There's times when he was attempt, the Pharisees were trying to trap him and he showed them a bigger truth in the kingdom. He zagged. Um, he, they zigged and he zagged. He, yeah, he juked them. Yeah. Um, Levitically speaking. Yeah. 
So um, lastly, what about this Malachi text? You've been robbing me of a tithe. Um, you know, I, I think it's interesting. We already talked about kind of offerings. <laughs> um, the this this Malachi passage talks about bringing into the storehouse. Well, that this passage gets so spiritualized, I would say. Um, but have, haven't you heard somebody say like it talks about blessing? This is a favorite of our health and wealth pastors. Um, of course, right. Um, I would say this passage is actually again about Israel. So can we take biblical principles from it? Absolutely. We have done a whole podcast episode on first fruits. Um, so are we compelled to follow the law so that God will pour out water on our land? Like, like it says in this passage. Um, and that's what this is. This is rain on physical Israel. And I would say, no, we are not supposed to follow the law so that God will rain on america um you know it even talks about rebuking the devourer and i was always told like go listen don't don't go listen to something from bethel but you know they would love to tell you that like you have a closed heaven because you haven't opened your heart whatever uh no when it says rebuke the devourer if you start studying that it's saying i will keep locusts out of your fields it's not the the enemy that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's talking about locusts, um, and this is this this passage is saying you guys have not kept the law. This is a pattern in the entire Old Testament of God saying you you've strayed from me, you've broken the law. Return to me, start following the law, and I will bless you. That was an old covenant n- normal modus operandi. Whereas in this passage, I hear it a lot, kind of. St- thrown out and say, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, aka give it to your local 501c3 uh, church organization. And um, we can take it from here. Yeah. And I will rain down blessing on you. I will open the windows of heaven and pour down a blessing until there's no more need. Well, this leads us to kind of where I think you wanted to go, which is what, what do we do if if I a have I convinced you that this tithe thing is not actually a law? B, if that's the truth, how do we how do we operate in church life where we do have organizations that sometimes bless our socks off and we want to support? Other times they start asking for our money and telling us that's uh, our legal obligation as Christians. I think you've fairly well convinced me that that what we what we've been told is a must is was written as a specific instruction to a specific people living in a certain place uh, so I'm down with that okay um I think that you could I, I think the argument that you made last is the weakest one which is kind of a, a, a universal instruction to not a to not make spiritual application to something that was tangible. There, there's something in this in this language for. I mean, Malachi three ten is very strong, um, and and God is put out, and it's specifically because the the assets that are supposed to be handed over are not being handed over. And so you think, okay, what is he communicating there about his heart? We know that he doesn't need anything. Uh, we, we see that in places like Isaiah 66. He doesn't need anything. He's not hoping that you can help him out. But there's something in his heart that goes, my, I don't have the hearts of my people fully because they won't hand something over. So I don't know. There's something there. There, there's, there's something there. It, it, it's, it, uh, as we have already said, I would say danger, danger, warning. And if someone is trying to compel you to give 10% of your income to them or to their machine, I don't, it stinks to me, but there's something in, in Malachi 3.10. And so I, I guess I would say, I guess I'm, I'm going to the same place you're going, which is, well, then what shall we do? Right. And I, I want to reiterate that I am not saying 
Malachi 310 has nothing to do with us because it was just a warning to the law-breaking Israelis. Okay. Um, what I am saying is that the the tit for tat offered by the Lord there oh. is different than what he would say to us, especially insofar as it is connected to a because it uses the word tithe, the full yeah. tithe. There isn't a law that tells you, Stephen Manuel, what your full tithe, if we want to use that word even, yeah. uh, ought to be. Right. They knew. They had it on paper. Right. This is what we're supposed to be doing. Right, right, right. We should pull the principle of first fruits, the principle of, I mean, I mean shoot, uh, Paul did not take it very lightly when people tried to rob God in the new covenant, the new Testament, right? Um, I think of Ananias and Sapphira, they feigned generosity and they were killed. Yep. So, you know, do I think God could get just as angry about a failure to towards generosity in the new covenant as he did in the old? Yes, I do. My contention, there is no literal, written down law for the believer in Christ today about how much you should give. Okay. Uh, there is a deep requirement. I mean, Matthew 5, where Jesus kind of goes through as he's setting up for the Sermon on the Mount, he goes through lust and divorce and all of these items that are in the law, oaths, um, anger, uh, murder, um, and he, he goes through and says, well, there's a law and I am actually going to call you above that and higher. So right. that's where I say that there is no difference with generosity and giving. Okay. Um, there, it, there was a law. It showed us our sin. It was completely fulfilled in Christ in terms of the legal requirement on us. And there is a discipleship model that says you're going to have to go so much farther beyond that because you're in, in, uh, in the new covenant and you're under grace now, not, not the legal That's system. Great. Well, we have written about first fruits before as a, again, as a principle that gives us insight into God's heart so that we can live in a way that we are voluntarily being pleasing to him. This has been on my radar a lot lately where people are asking questions about, do I have to do X or Y or Z? Do I have to do these things um, to be saved? I saw, I saw a minister recently on Twitter saying, um, do people have to be baptized? He was talking about water. Do people have to be baptized to be saved? Give us your thoughts. And I'm just thinking, I hate the question. Uh, that, what do you mean have to do something to be saved? I mean, all you have to do is believe and receive to be to be born again, if that's what you mean. Um, and I grew up wanting to know, okay, look, look, God, just tell us what you want us to do. Tell us what you want us to do. Okay, we'll go do it. Okay, we will try. We'll do our best to go do it. Okay? And just having that feeling for... I felt that way for probably 15 years of my life. And that's not what my walk with God is like anymore. I'm his, I'm his disciple. I want to follow him and I want to please him. So I never ask him, do I have to do this for you to be pleased with me? Will that get you off my back? My, my attitude is how can I live like Jesus in my, in, in my world, how do I, how do I live out his heart and character? And, and it's important to, to throw into this discussion. I don't see any way around it to go. If you want to follow him and passages like Luke 14, one of my favorite verses of life is Luke 14, 33. And it says, whoever does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. So when I decided to follow him, well, I, let me be uh, fair. When I, when I, quote, asked Jesus into my heart, um, go with me on that. That's not a biblical phrase. Um, when I gave my life to Christ, when I, when I said, please save me, um, I didn't give everything to him. And, but I, there, was, there came a time that I did. And at this stage of the game, everything I have 
is his to call upon whenever he wants. So the, the idea of, now what do, you, what do we have to do? Okay, are you good with that? That's a nonsense question for somebody who is going to follow him with your life because he gets everything. So um, if I come upon uh, Melchizedek and the Lord says, hand over the keys to your car and your wallet and your phone and the deed to your house and we'll work on you tomorrow, then the answer is yes. And that's what we do. So this kind of generosity thing um, is an open-handed walking before God going like, it's all yours. Now, how much do you want me to put into other people's pockets? And would you please make me wise in the way that I do that? Because we have certainly illustrated very well uh, here and in other places that putting huge amounts of money into people's hands that aren't ready for it is not good for them. So we want to be shrewd and wise and good stewards, et cetera. And, yeah. and I would just say in personal experience, that includes church organizations. <laughs> yeah, you're exactly right. Man, um, is that ever the case. There are, there it, are such a thing as immature organizations. And when they receive, if you will, because this is what we, we've talked about the most, when they receive an inheritance, that they're not ready for things don't go good you're right That's right it would be super fun to extend this to talk through a couple things i'm not sure that we have really tackled on the kind of theology slash how to run a household and your money side which would be how do you deal with church membership in general yeah um, you're right and once you've covered do we have to tithe and do we need to be a part of a local church? Then how do we deal with um, the requests that the local church has for money? Yes. Uh, because my, <laughs> spoiler alert, my answer to question number two is yes, you do need to be a part of a local church. Um, doesn't have to be a 501c3 organization, but many of you will be a part of a 501c3 organization and they will ask you for money. And I think it'd be fun at some point to equip our listeners to have a Christ-focused response to that when it comes their way. Yeah, that's great. But we're not going to tell you now. So if it happens <laughs> in the next two weeks, I guess just do your best. Well, I, I think we can do some quick hits here on some thoughts. So... Um, just some takeaways from all of this. Okay. So number one, um, let's say there is a single mom, Mark, and she is at the poverty line and, um, someone out of their generosity of their heart hands her a thousand dollars. Um, that's just going to meet, um, some schooling costs that she has and rent, and that'll get her food for the month. Does she have to give $100 of that to the local church if she loves Jesus? No, she doesn't have to do anything. Oh, okay. Well, solves that. So what, would you, do you think that many of the expectations of generosity are lifted from her because of her situation? No, I don't. I think that... These, this is where this is where it gets so sticky. And going back to Matthew 5, we are all guilty of every sin on the list that Jesus covers because he kind of said, well, if you've ever even looked at somebody's stuff and wanted it, then you're guilty of theft. Um, well, I, I think with, with this example, she is not absolved uh, from... from the call to follow Jesus with everything she has, which now includes a thousand dollars. And she was never under law in the first place to hand over a hundred dollars of it to, to get it out of her household. So I think she can operate with some freedom. If we noticed that, Hey, this person, when we give them a thousand dollars, they hold on to it and start just, trusting in that thousand dollar bill well then we've we've unearthed something that the the lord might want to deal with um in the process of sanctification and we all 
are going to be at different stages in that journey. I'm certainly not arrived where, and, and I don't know, you, you said it as if you, you just have completely let go of all earthly goods. Maybe you have, but my guess is you might even have some, some ground to cover between you, here in heaven on this topic too. Of so, course. Um, I think we all are kind of in process on this. Uh, and what you said is the goal and nobody gets out of that, that goal, which is uh, total, total stewardship, zero ownership, if you will. So let's say there's a young family. Um, they're pulling down 45,000 a year. And at the end of the year, when they, when they put their pencil to paper, they were just trying to be open listen to God's spirit and be generous. And they found that they gave 13% of their income away that year. In the following year, Bob gets a new job and he's now raking in $130,000 a year. This is a huge increase, more than twice what he's making before. Do you think that 12% repeating what they did with less money does that get him in good standing? Is that a, is that a good baseline for his giving going forward? You're setting you're setting me up here, Stephen. But I like it, and I'll say that's just making another law. It's saying that the law says as long as I at least hit last year's high water mark, then I will be favored by the Lord, and that's junk. Um, we have had seasons where we didn't give five percent. However. We did save it and we sort of held it aside because we said this is belongs to the Lord. We haven't found the place for it. Um, so we, we were still partitioning funds and resources off from our normal household um, and saying, God, we don't have we don't have clarity on where this goes right now. Um, I don't think God said, "Well, your tax return didn't say that you gave enough, or you know, you didn't write checks to enough friends who were in need, or whatever." Um, I think, I think he was fine with that. And you know, like you said, there came a time when he said, "Guess what? Here was the need I was reserving that money for, um, and now give it all plus some." What about the young family who is trying to be faithful to a budget and yet they feel spontaneously compelled to be generous and it might it might break the budget? Yeah, that's a really good question. And for for that family, I say you you have to you have to look at what's in the budget. If the only option for you to do that generosity is to not make your mortgage payment that month. Um, I think that that's probably not wise because what you're doing now is you're giving away money you don't have. You, you've already spent it and you owe it to someone else. Um, you know, I don't encourage people. I'm going to say that I'm making room in this statement for the Holy Spirit to just like, you know, you hear these tech startup guys who racked up 200 grand of debt on credit cards because they just believed in their company. Oh, they're and, such heroes. Yeah. I I leave room for somebody to say, this is the mission and we're going after it right now. And if we have to put all, we have to max out all the credit cards, we're going after it. Um, I'm not condemning that person. Um, however, as a general practice, I would counsel somebody. It's not really giving if you just put it on a credit card because you can't, you don't have it. You're just hoping to give. <laughs> You're hoping that you can pay that back someday. Um, and so I think there's some discernment there. My experience working with families is that there's almost always places where the budget can be sucked in. Um, Lodo Feb is the teaching tool there. We think, man, really trying to live by a budget. And then we do this one month where we live on like half Yeah, and it goes, Oh, that's, Oh, and my guess is if we, if we really had to, we could squeeze it in half again, you know, yeah. um, at least the variable costs in our life. So like yeah. groceries and entertainment and all that stuff. So let me, let me ask I another, think. let me ask another version of that question just to, just to get it out there. 
there's a there's a there could this could be a couple, but there's a single guy. He makes sixty five a year. He's very comfortable. Oh, but he does have forty thousand in uh, debt and credit card debt that he's racked up over the last ten years. But he wants to be the kind of person who gives magnanimously to the um, church building project. So he wants to sign up to give 10K to that because he's just so excited by their pitch and he just wants to be that kind of a guy. My first advice to him would be you need to get your debt problem like under control in emergency fashion. And let's just forget about the giving question for a second uh, and say, what are you doing to deal with that emergency in your life? Um, that doesn't mean stop giving. It means this is this is priority number one. You have a tiger that's crouching in the tall grass of your financial life and it's going to eat you. So let's make sure that that's addressed. Now, if he came to me and he said, you were right, I needed to deal with this. Here's my plan for this debt. I have a plan and it's going to be paid off in four years or whatever. Uh, it could be 10 years. I don't know. But yeah. I have a plan and I'm working towards it. And I would like to pay that debt off in six years instead of four because I feel called to also put money towards this other thing right now. I'm like, great, let's let's go for it with eyes wide open um, because I I don't think having any debt means that you shouldn't be generous financially. Uh, I definitely don't think that. I, I do think that there are cases where you've actually given all your money away and you just are giving now because you want to feel like a giver, but you haven't earned the right to be a giver. You already gave all your money away and then you kind of are a poser out there if you're writing big checks to organizations. So um, earn the right, but you don't necessarily have to be at zero debt to have earned the right. You just need to have your financial house in order. That's fair. I, I, I was using those words specifically, I want to be the kind of person who, and then can write a big check that impresses everybody. And um, I, I just want to underline for everybody that staying inside your budget for decades is, is that is office work for being an awesome giver. And that, that uh, people uh, undervalue the faithfulness of stewarding money and they overvalue the magnanimous spontaneous showy gift and i just i just want i just want those things connected in people's mind yeah i think that i'm gonna close out this episode by saying if your your uh built-in rhythm of generosity in your family has been to say, let's, let's make hard effort to give regularly and let's target 10% of what we bring in. That's great. I am not speaking against that. I don't think you should make it 9% or 11% just to kind of stick your finger in the eye of the, the institution. Um, I think 10%, can be it's represented in the bible a tenth as a very good idea when you get the idea to be generous and give um don't let anyone put that on you as a law it's mm -hmm. not uh and seek to expand your generosity just like you're seeking to expand every other capital that the lord gives you generosity is not a capital it's more of a posture and a character trait but grow in it just like you want to grow in love and grow in wisdom and understanding grow yeah. in generosity and um if if you're in a situation where hey i'm not able to feed my children right now don't let somebody come along and say drop that check in the offering plate and God will feed your children. Right. That, that's a bunch of hooey. Um, but get your financial house in order, partly out of a desire to say, Hey Lord, I want to be generous and I need to, to have your help in, in ordering my life in a way that that could be possible. Um, and for most people that doesn't take many, many years. That's like a 
let's just right the ship and go in the right direction. We can start being generous usually in weeks. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Awesome. Great. This has been great. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Stephen, for uh, uh, a little bit of back and forth today. I I found myself last night for the first time ever at a middle school debate tournament. Oh, my. And I sat in and listened to these kids, and it took all of my effort not to stand up and be like, that's a, that's a stupid argument. What what are you saying? Like, <laughs> do you know what ha- they were arguing about? Should the government provide universal child care? Oh, and my daughter did not win any awards, but I was so proud of her because she regularly said things that got her minus points. But I was like, that's exactly what I want you to do, which was like, do you just do you not think the government's going to instill morals in these kids if they have them all day? Because they are. And she's talking to some like purple haired kid yes. with a nose ring and yes. her debate and she's just going after him. Oh, my uh, goodness. But it was pretty fun. So. I was thinking about that as we did this. Like, it'd be pretty fun to do a Lincoln Douglas debate on. It would. Is, is the tithe required? It would. It would. Well, your your experience the same thing that I experienced watching my daughters playing basketball, and I just it I just got to keep myself from jumping on the court and go. Can you not see this girl? She is under the basket. She is wide open. What are you doing? Yeah. Yes, because there's no three-second rule in little girls' basketball, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right. All right. Well, see ya. Bye.